Good morning. It's good to be back here. I don't know. What t- I don't know why, but it felt like it was forever since last Sunday. Maybe that's partially just because I was, you know, self quarantining. I, I don't have COVID, just so you know. But I was just trying to be cautious. But maybe it's because I didn't really see anybody this whole week that it felt so long. But it seems like forever since last week. But we are ending today our public study of heart trouble with a lesson that is called Troubled Hearts. And you might think, wow, you know, all that verse that was just read, you know, let not your hearts be troubled. seems like Ben playing this, and yes, I did. And when I picked out all our passages, I wanted to end here. But when I talk about ending our public study of talking about the heart, I think for any true Christian, that study will always be ongoing whether it's introspectively looking at ourselves or going through scripture and seeing from Genesis to Revelation how people's hearts either are set on God and serving him or they're set on serving self and sin. And all throughout the Bible, we can see examples of people who go through the struggles in life that we do. But at this time, we're going to end our series in a passage that I hope is uplifting to you as it is to me as I've got to study it and prepare this lesson. In the past, we've talked about some lessons in this series, some that are a bit more solemn and sad and serious. But we've also talked about ones that are quite joyous, like last week, studying in 1 Peter, and the hope that we are to have. And today, we're going to end with a study in John chapter 13, the end of John 13, into the first part of John 14. And we need to recall the setting of where this is occurring. Uh, John, being more unique than some of the other Gospels and how he presents what happens in Jesus' life, he gives us an extended account of the time in the upper room. And chapter 13 starts this discourse of Jesus kind of giving his apostles this final advice because in the beginning of chapter 13, you'll see that it's written that Jesus understands that his time on this earth is coming to an end. And with that, he is trying to help his apostles be prepared as much as possible for what's going to come. And it is in that we see that Jesus offers his apostles advice among the troubles that they have. They're experiencing trouble, and he reassures them. He gives them words of reassurance saying, listen, it's going to be okay, and he ends in our study, as we'll see today, with some guidance that he offers for them. And hopefully, as we see in our study, that even amidst the troubles that we experience in our life and the reassurance that we obviously need, that we too can take the guidance and the comforting words that Christ here talks of to his apostles. So we're going to start today in the trouble that they are encountering. We're going to start in verse 34 of chapter 13, if you'd like to follow along. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. 
Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And so in the first part of the trouble that's going on in this text, I think is living up or following the commandments or the words of God that are spoken. And so for us, that would be you know, the trouble that we have following the Bible. But for the people of Christ's time, his apostles, it's following his word and the commandment that he gives. Because we see this commandment that Christ says, he's like, I give you a new commandment, one that isn't different. You know, and before, as we see like in Matthew, Jesus is continually challenging the prior teachings of the Jewish faith going against what they've thought it to be the norm, the normalcy in how they're supposed to believe and act. And Jesus here goes again a step further and says, listen, you need to love one another as I have loved you. And thinking about how the apostles understand this, right, in the context of what we're reading, who knows really how much they understood. You have men like Matthew, who was a tax collector, someone who was a reject in society, and yet Jesus chose him to be one of his 12. But you have other men like Peter, right, who gave up his fishing job to then go follow Jesus. And so maybe they don't truly understand this, what Jesus is talking about of the, the love he has for them because they're a little confused about what's going to go on in the next chapters to come. But at least, maybe in John 15, right, the passage everyone, a lot of people like to quote, no greater love has a person then to lay down their life for their friend. That's still in this discourse where Jesus is talking to them. So maybe then even they get a little bit more of an understanding of this love that Christ talks about. But it would still be a daunting task. You know, one that is going to require a lot. And when we think of us today, if we just think of that alone right now, you know, loving each other as Christ loves, I mean, we all know when we get on each other's nerves, right? When we get upset with other people, we're not perfect. And so when we think of loving as Christ loved, it can be such a hard thing for us to do. You're like, come on, Ben, Christ is perfect. How, how can we expect to ever love as much as he loves? But we can do our best to try to do that, to try to love and put each other first in our lives. And so for the apostles, maybe they were having trouble you know, following the teachings of Jesus. You think in... Back in John 6, when Jesus is, he feeds a multitude, and he kind of learns, right, that people only are coming to him for the food. And Jesus is so torn up about what's going on. He looks at his apostles, and he's like, do you really want to follow me? Why don't you guys go too? Because so many people were having trouble following Jesus' teachings because of how countercultural they were at the time then. And they still are now. When we think of following the Bible as a whole, Right, and the teachings that it shows. It can be hard for us. We know it's hard for us not to, to sin, to, to try to live our lives the way we should. And we have trouble with that. But there are also people that, upon studying the Bible maybe a little bit more, or understanding what the Bible says about what they're supposed to do, they want to try to forget God. Because they have learned that, in studying the, the Bible, at least some, that if they are going to accept what God tells them they need to do, that it comes with some implications to the people that maybe they care a lot about. And a lot of people in the world today have a problem with the Bible because of what it means for their loved ones and 
what it means for their salvation in the end of life. And they don't want to deal with that. They don't want to have to think about and have to tell their loved ones that they're wrong or that they're doing things. And so even today we have trouble following the commands that God gives us in Scripture. But when those people misunderstand what's going on, when they don't fully understand why God is doing what he does or says what he does in Scripture, it's that then we talk about our understanding. Because here Peter is clearly showing about his trouble with not understanding what's going on. Peter's like, Jesus, what do you mean? And what was clipped out, you know, we talked in verse 34, but right before verse 34, Jesus iterates what Peter asks. He says, you know, where I'm going, you cannot follow. And Peter's confused. He's like, Jesus, what do you mean? And you start to think for a second, you know, what were they doing for three years, right? They were following Jesus around wherever he told them to go or wherever he led, they went. And you think of Peter specifically, the apostle who confessed Jesus in Matthew 16, who, is, who was going to be given the keys to the kingdom, but also the one who walked on water, right? Peter, unlike any of the other apostles, not only did he follow Jesus on land, but he followed him on water. So water, land, Peter's like, you know, I've gone everywhere with you. Why in the world can I not follow you? Where, where could you possibly go that I can't, like, you know, walk behind you? And Peter doesn't understand what's going on because, again, the, the apostles are confused, not just about, you know, what's about to happen, but where Jesus is going, right? They're like, what do you mean where you're going? Like, we've been together for, you know, three years following you, and you're saying now at this point we can't follow you? But, again, as we know, as we have the full picture here in the text, Peter didn't understand the magnitude of his job and the fact that he is the one with the keys to the kingdom and that he would be the one central to establishing Christ's church after he left. And how was Peter to know that he was going to see Jesus ascend into heaven? And when we think of ourselves and not understanding things, you know, Peter, he tried as best that he could with the situation to figure out what was going on. But for us, maybe it's not understanding why we do what we do in Scripture or trying to deal with the fact of understanding why would Jesus die for me? The Son of God, the, the one who was truly perfect, why would he offer himself up for me? I'm not worth it. Or just in general, understanding why stuff happens to us or to other people. But the Bible, God in, God in the Bible has never promised us understanding for everything. You know, I'm a very curious person. My fiance can tell you that. I wonder about things that make her groan. Because she's like, Ben, it doesn't matter. Who cares about the amount of white stuff in between the Oreos? I'm like, I do. I want to know. But she, she knows I'm a curious person, and I like answers to questions, and I like to wonder how things work. But God never told me, God never told any of us in Scripture that we will get every single answer to the questions that we have. I mean, you think we could ask a lot of questions. But what God has promised us is that we will get what we need for understanding and that we can understand how we are to attain our salvation. That has been promised to us. And while we have trouble at times understanding what's going on in life and what's going on around us, it's the more simplistic things of understanding who God is and what he provides for us that get us through the trials and temptations in life. And when we think about the people who don't quite understand about God's word, you know, people who try to 
say that, you know, it's okay to sin or to do certain things and to try to talk about, you know, God in one aspect. And people get offended, right? They want to do what they want to do and they try to bend scripture. And they're just simply misunderstanding that it's not about what we want or what we think is right, but about what God has set out as his will and what is right in God's sight. Because what those same people are forgetting is that we are to serve him for, because of what he has done, because what, did he, what he has done to show love to us and that same love that we can show to other people. Because the last part in this text here is dealing with desires. We see Peter again. He shows this desire of wanting to not just serve Christ, but to show his absolute loyalty to him. And as we saw a little bit a couple weeks ago in Luke 22, we talked a little bit more about Peter's denial. That Peter, as we know, he's not going to live up to the words that he says here immediately in this context. That in just a couple hours after this, he's going to deny Christ. And we don't know what came over Peter. It's never explained to us whether it was, you know, Peter was afraid to die if he admitted that he was Jesus' follower, or if Peter just wanted to fit in, what kind of peer pressure or whatever. It's never told us what desires overcame Peter. But Peter, at the basis of this, his desire was to serve God and to live for him. And what he would say here, right, is that he would even go to the point of giving up his life for him. And that we see in our lives, just like Peter, that the fleshly desires, the desires of sin, can sometimes overtake us. And we have struggled dealing with that. But Peter, as uh, tradition in the church tells us, he would live up to the words that he said to Jesus. And I can't help but think of that when Peter died as a martyr for Christ, that the words were echoing in his head, remembering the time that Jesus told him and asked him, will you lay down your life? And Peter says, maybe in his head, that he thinks of how he lived up to everything he said to him and that he was going to show that regardless of the mistakes he made, the sins that he had committed, what he had said in his life, that his desire to serve God and to die for him was what triumphed in life and that we too can do that even amidst the problems that we have. That while we are imperfect, imperfect and while we mess up at times, the question is, what do we truly desire in our hearts? Are we like Peter, who even though we might mess up at times, our desire is to serve God, or is our desire to please ourselves and others? Because while one might cause some momentary happiness and might lay off the troubles that you may feel due to sin and the problems that that causes, but in the end, Serving God and desiring to live for him is what will truly cause that trouble to go away. And it's amidst this trouble that Jesus offers the reassurance to his apostles. And continuing on in verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again 
and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. We get here to Jesus' words that he tells them, do not be troubled. And we have to think about what's going on right in this context. Jesus, in the prior chapter, has told them that there's going to be a traitor among them, someone that's going to betray him. And the apostles aren't sure who it is. And as we remember in our study of Luke, there was a dispute that arose shortly after that. They're, they're trying to figure out who is the greatest of them, you know, partially because Jesus is talking about the person who's going to betray him, who is obviously going to be the worst. And that combined with, you think of Peter and what's going on with him. Right? It's not just Peter that's troubled here, but it's all of them. Right? They're confused. They don't really know what's going on. For three years or so, they've followed Jesus. They've gone after him, and he's led the way for them. And now Jesus is telling them, he's like, listen, you can't follow me where I'm going. And amidst this confusion, this not able to understand what's going on, that they have some distress. And the, the word here for the being troubled is about emotional distress that they're feeling. Right? They're, they're worrying. We don't know exactly, but it's, you know, we know the feeling. When you have anxiety, when you have fear, doubt that creeps in, and we have this distress that you know, is at the very core of who we are, that sinking, that awful feeling that we have, that's what Jesus is talking to them about here. He's telling them, listen, even though you can't go where I'm going, even though someone's going to betray me and one of you is going to deny me, one of which he called out specifically. Don't, don't let yourself be troubled. And for us in our series, when we've been talking about this trouble, we've been talking about more so the sin issues of the heart. But let us not forget that if we let the distress, the emotional worries and doubt overcome us, and wear down on us, we can start to doubt the things of God, doubt the certainty of our salvation. We can doubt whether God really is who he says he is. If his word, the Bible, is accurate and perfect. We cannot let the worries of life, the struggles that we go through, wear down on us and cause us to doubt God and his word. We must not give in, but remember the reassurance Christ gives us that first and foremost, he, he's trying to comfort his apostles as well as we can draw that comfort from his words. Jesus says, listen, regardless of what's happening, don't be troubled. But why? Why not be troubled? Because it's not just that he's trying to comfort his apostles, but also Jesus is giving them confidence amid the trials that they face. But how so is he doing this? And it's part of how Jesus has set up what he said to his apostles. He said, believe in God, believe also in me. Again, there's so much to what the apostles didn't truly you know, understand 100%. I mean, how can you blame them? And if you read on a little bit further in John 14, you'll see that Thomas is still confused about you know, God and Jesus and the Godhead, it's a very complicated thing, even as we study it today, seeing all of Scripture. But Jesus is telling them, he's like, if you believe in God, well, then you should believe in me. Why? It's not because Jesus is some messenger from God. 
It's not because Jesus was created you know, lower than the angels, and maybe some people say, but because Jesus is God. And if you believe in God, and if you know the power that God has, the greatness and the authority, Jesus has that same power and authority. So if you're going through hard times, if you're going through troubles, it's like, listen, don't be troubled. Why? Because if you believe in God, you can believe in me. Putting your faith and trust in me isn't some vain endeavor, but it's the same as trusting in God. Jesus is reassuring his followers that placing his confidence in him, even amidst what's going to happen, is the right thing to do. And he's trying to reassure them, make sure they know that regardless of what happens, it's going to be okay. And he's trying to prepare them for the rough road ahead. Because what's coming soon, as even though Jesus has foretold this to his apostles, is Jesus is going to give his life up. And even then, the apostles are going to struggle with that. And as we recall in Luke 22, that Peter is told by Jesus, he's like, listen, I'm praying for you. And not only that, but you need to be ready to come back as quickly as you can from the low point that you're at because people are going to need you. And in the last part of this, these verses here, Jesus shows his caring love and the hope he offers. So they're confused, right? They don't really know where Jesus is going. And Jesus says, listen, even though you don't know where I'm going, first of all, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my Father's house. But one day I'm also going to come back for you. But we also have to remember at least what Jesus knows compared to what the apostles know. Right? Jesus, what he's about to in a couple hours, go, they're going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane after this time of meeting. He's going to pray in the garden. Then he's going to be arrested, tried unfairly, and then hung on a cross. Jesus knew what he was getting into, even if his apostles didn't fully understand. And you could think at a time like this, so often we might, as humans point out, you know, like, well, I might be going through a lot of stuff. You know, I've gone through a lot of pain. What about me? What's going on? Jesus doesn't sit there and start going, oh, woe is me. I have to go through all this stuff. Listen, I'm going to go die. I'm going to go through all this pain. You know, I'm the son of God. I don't deserve this. Why am I doing this? He doesn't think about himself. Instead, Jesus, knowing what's going to happen with his apostles and the emotional burdens they're going to be carrying, he gives them hope and confidence and loves them so much to say, listen, it's going to be okay. I'm going to come back for you. And he's even more selfish when you think, right, of Jesus who took on flesh. He left his rightful place in heaven to come down among men. And Jesus, knowing that he's going to go up there soon, he's going to return back to his rightful place. And it's not like Jesus is saying, oh, listen, I've been down to earth once. That's enough for me. I want to stay up in heaven on my rightful place because I'm, no, I'm part of the Godhead. I'm the Son of God. I'm going to stay where I need to be up in heaven. Jesus isn't striving to go back there because he wants to go back there. He's going back there because it's part of God's will. But Jesus tells him, listen, I'm going to come back for you. After I give my life for you, I'm going to come back and bring you home. And he's giving his followers, his apostles there, so much hope, and he gives us hope as we look for the future. And the caring love, but it's also the love is shown in what is somewhat of this marital language that is used at the time. One practice in the Jewish culture was for 
the man, after they became betrothed to the woman, he would go to his father's house. And he would build on the side of his his father's house another room for them to live in. He would finance himself. He would build it himself. And the job of the woman at that time was to be prepared for when her soon-to-be husband was to come back for her. She didn't know when he was going to finish or when he would come, but she had to be ready. In that same language, we see this marital love that is shown in Ephesians 5 as Paul writes that, Husbands are to love your wives as what Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that she might be spotless without blemish. That love that Jesus shows for us, for his people, right? The church there are not just, you know, a group of people, but God's people world round. He died for them, and he loved us so much in that. And he shows that through his desire to have a place for us and to come back for us one day. But then that leads us to how do we get there, right? Jesus gives his followers reassurance, but he has to help them, right, get there. Because as we see again, they don't understand where he's going. Kind of rightly so, because he hasn't really specifically explained it. But in our last point, we talk about the way of how to get there. The way to go about getting through these troubles in life and the way to find the reassurance that God offers. So continuing in verse 4, And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas is still confused, and he's voicing his confusion now. He's like, listen, what, what do you mean we know? How, how do we know what's going on? Right? And you think again of Thomas, right? They've followed Jesus all the way around. And if they don't know where Jesus is going, how are they going to get there? Right? For us, we, we would use a GPS, right? If you don't know how to get somewhere, you just put in the GPS. Or most people use their phones now if you do that. But, you know, sometimes, right, if we go somewhere, we tell someone, hey, I don't know how to get there, but you do. Let me follow you. And they'll you know, lead the way in some kind of caravan or something. And yet, when we think about that, right, when we think about Jesus telling them, you know, you know, right, Thomas is confused. Right? He's like, Jesus, okay, you know where you're going, but we don't. So how are we going to get there if you don't show us how to get there? You, you need to be the one, right? You know where you're going. Lead us there. And that's exactly what Jesus is getting at. And Thomas, that's why Jesus tells them. He's like, you know, it's right in front of you, Thomas. You don't realize it, but you already know the way. He's like, it's me. Right? Jesus reveals in his words here that you know, we know the way. And he actually answers Thomas's question, if we pay attention right to how Jesus' answer Thomas is like, how do we know the way? We don't know where you're going. And Jesus says, I am the way. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is going back to the Father, which is in heaven. And when we think about what we know today, I can't help but think of Romans 1.20, which says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen because they are understood 
through what has been made so people are without excuse or that we know who God is based on his creation. We are reflections, as I've said before, of God the Father. And when I think of things, or if we think of the mortality that we have, or the, rather the morality, and the morality of thinking of, you know, if you have a, a small child, nobody would say it's okay to kill that child. We, we agree that, you know, it's, it's wrong to do that. Or when we think of things in the, in the past, like the Holocaust, people in their right mind don't, don't say, well, yeah, that was just fine to do. People should do that all the time. No, for some reason, we humans have a basic morality, a basic moral compass that is inside of us. Why? Well, for the Christian, we say that's because of God, because that's the only way you can have it. It doesn't make any other sense why we would have some moral code inside of us, regardless of who we are, because part of God is in us. But we also have, if you think about history and how much people strive to have some divine connection. Yes, at times, people like the Egyptians, the Romans, the Greeks, they got it wrong, but we have inside of us this desire for some spiritual satisfaction that is meant for us to, to long for our creator. When we think about the things that we know, right? we know we should be here, right? We, should, we know we should come to church on Sunday, but is that what we want? Do we want to be here for the right reasons? We know Jesus is the Son of God. We know sinning is bad. But yet, even with that, even with knowing that, at times we make mistakes. And hopefully we never forget that even amidst our mistakes, as we're trying to follow God, that what is truly most important is our soul and that true success is living our lives and going to heaven. But Christ reveals here that there is only one way to God. And he makes this proclamation that I think, sadly, for many people in Christendom today, people who profess some, some belief in the Bible, that they like to throw this verse out. I don't know why, but they like to not think about it. When Christ says, Clearly and plainly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So often today, people in the religious world like to think of, you know, John 3.16 and just, you know, people can get to God however they feel like, however they want to do it, they can get to God. It doesn't have to specifically, you know, be with Jesus. And lots of people are pushing, you know, for acceptance of all religions in the world today. But yet, Jesus doesn't say that at all here. And people think, you know, you just do what you do in your religion, we'll, we'll do what we do in our religion, and that's just fine. But ironically, if one religion says that it is the only way, and another religion says everyone's okay, one of them's got to be wrong. They can't both be right. Either everyone's fine, or there's one true way. And when Christ says this, I think sometimes we can forget why exactly this is the way it is? Why is Jesus the only way to the Father? And it's that, right, where, where do we start? We have to go back and start with sin in our lives. And that with sin we are separated from God. 
right? And as a human, we have no ability to change that. We can't get rid of the sins that we have, and that's why Jesus came and died for us, that he could be the perfect sacrifice. And so with that, we can then not be separated from God anymore, and we can approach him as we call in Scripture Jesus as our mediator. He is the high priest who is tempted in all ways that we've been tempted, the one to intercede for us, our intercessor, the one in whom we pray to God. He is the only way because his sacrifice was the only option that humanity had to have access to God. Otherwise, you can't get there. You can't get to God in any other way except through Christ. But furthermore, Christ claims to be the truth and the life. Christianity is the one true religion of the one true God. It is the only way to be with God one day. Even though people might, try, might think differently and be confused about what they want and try to interject their own feelings and desires, Christ is plain and clear that he is the only way we can get to God. He is the only way that we can get through our struggles fully and the only way we can have proper reassurance that our sins are behind us and that we have a hope of a home with him in heaven one day. But I want to end with a question that, while is kind of simple, it is pretty heavy. And it's, do you want to follow him? There are some questions that we ask, and a lot of times when questions are asked, it's better for us not to answer immediately, but to think about it fully. And for this question, it also involves counting the cost. Because so often, I, th I see people who say they want to follow God, go and get baptized. And when they try to live the Christian life, the cost of it is too much. As we said, so many people have trouble dealing with their family members who are not faithful, dealing with people who are mean to them because they are a Christian even amidst the world that we live in today. Living the Christian life comes with some costs as it was created by the cost of Christ giving his life for us. But it's not all doom and gloom, right, as we said. Yeah, there are times we, we have to be serious and solemn, but Christianity is a joyous religion, understanding that we have great hope and great confidence in God to help us to go with him one day and to forgive us of our sins. Momentary pleasure is not worth our souls. Some people might think it is, but it isn't. But we have to truly ask ourselves, is following him what we want? Is that what we desire? Each of us must weigh our options and to decide who we will serve. But for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to come, the great I am, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who created this world. That's who I want to serve. And even though I struggle at times, even though we have trouble in our life, he's the only way we can solve that. As we look to the future, as we look to striving to be better followers of him, that is the question that I leave you with. And with that question in our minds, we offer a time now for 
anyone who wants prayers or encouragement who would like to come forward, or if you need to study, whatever desire you have, you know, that opportunity is always open. But now we have that specific time. So if you have any need, whether public or private, please come now as we stand and sing. Uh-huh.